listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of ESL Talk. We are your hosts. I'm Faye. And I'm Daniel. And on today's episode, we will look at the topic of teaching to high context cultures. Yeah, what exactly is a high context culture? How does it affect our communication? And why should we be aware of this when communicating with students from high context cultures? And today we will be joined by our special guest, Sarah. She's a vastly experienced ESL professional with over 20 years of experience working in both high context and low context cultures. Yeah, I'm really curious to hear more from Sarah as we've both had some similar experiences teaching in high context cultures. Mm-hmm. Well, so Daniel, why don't we get started by first defining the term low and high context cultures? Can you give our listeners some examples of what that might be? Yeah, this is quite an interesting um, topic to talk about. And these terms are not as maybe clearly definable as we think. Mm-hmm. If we talk about a high context culture, it's generally a culture that is kind of older, that's been around a longer amount of time mm-hmm. and where certain beliefs or values have been ingrained over a very um, long period of history. So um, an example we're going to talk about quite a lot today is Korea. So, mm-hmm. you know, Korea as a country um, in terms of its history and culture is, is quite old as compared to maybe the U.S. or Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be other countries as well, like Japan or China, those countries in that region could definitely be defined as high context cultures, along with places like Brazil as well. Now, it's at a different mm-hmm. part on the spectrum, right. um, but definitely that's a high context culture. So there's less focus um, on, you know, words. It's more on cues and nonverbal mm. communication, body language, um, and a higher value on relationships as well. So that's high context. As for low context, as I've already mentioned, examples maybe are the US and Canada. So younger cultures more kind of iso- not isolated but more kind of independent in terms of people need things explaining clearly there's lots of immigrants so there's lots of accents so there's lots of different ways of speaking so mm-hmm. that affects our communication so everything has to be very clearly explained 
very clearly outlined and very simple in terms of communication. So Faye, how do you think being aware of these high and low context cultures can help us as teachers? Well, I think it really helps us to think of our students as different people, first of all, remembering that uh, we come from different cultures, which means we may have a very different way of communicating, not just uh, in terms of the language we speak, but how we see language and how we see communication. Um, and I think, as you mentioned, like these uh, high context cultures are a bit older. They're a lot more, let's say, rules or relationships and things like that have a more of a weight on how you communicate. And so having said that, this can all get lost in translation, right? That having all of mm -hmm. these um, cultural differences um, don't they don't really directly translate if you just take a sentence and translate it it can have many different meanings that we are unaware of right. um, so for instance uh, you mentioned Brazil being um, a high context culture and that's something I'm gonna ask Sarah a little bit more about too because to me coming from Brazil I've always thought Brazil was more similar to Canada or US than to Japan which is a mm. very high context culture but when I think about it in Brazil there are lots of um, language uh, features that are related to relationships. So when we talk to the elderly, you use a different pronoun to address them. Or, mm -hmm. you know, when you, you, there, you change the way you speak or you, you change not just your tone, but the words you use, depending mm -hmm. on the hierarchy or, you know, who you're talking to, which I don't see yep. happening as much in um, Canada or US. That's right? true, so yep. it's important to know that so that things don't get lost in translation and you don't um, think your student is being offensive or rude. You just have to remember that this is part of maybe their culture, the way they've learned to communicate. Mm -hmm. Can you think of some situations where you've experienced this in class um, to illustrate how this can be important for us to know? Yeah, so when we're talking about high context culture, I think back to when I was um, living in South Korea and the school mm -hmm. that I worked at, um, there was a very big emphasis on hierarchy and structure. Mm. Now, right. for me to talk to my boss in Canada wouldn't be a problem. I can just approach them. I can talk to them openly. I can email them. It's not an issue. Whereas in South Korea, it's very much about the layers. So yeah. if I had an issue that I wanted to raise to maybe the principal, I'd have to go to my superior who would then go to their superior mm -hmm. and so on. So that was definitely very different. And that took some adjustment. Things took a, took a long time to get done because a lot of the time, People didn't know the answer or they didn't want to upset or annoy the person above them. Uh. So a lot of the time it'd be very frustrating to, to right. find out information or decisions to get made. No direct Another line. one. Yeah. Um, so sometimes after a while, I kind of just sidestepped it a little and mm. that would cause more problems. Right. So it was very different to what mm -hmm. I experienced growing up in the UK and living in Canada. Another one is the word maybe. Um, mm. Again, this word was used as a kind of catch-all for everything. Mm -hmm. So for example, let's say there was a national holiday and I would ask, you know, Faye, there's a national holiday tomorrow. Do I need to come to work? Mm. Yeah, maybe. No, <laughs> yeah, maybe. So I, I don't know what the answer is. Is it yes? Is it no? Is it right. maybe? But what was meant by that is, well, as your contract is different to ours, you might have to come and work for a few hours or you might just have to show your face. But Again, because of that high context culture, we don't want to offend or upset right. a guest, a foreigner. So mm -hmm. we'll try to be polite and we'll say maybe instead of no, because mm -hmm. we don't want to cause conflict. So th those were a couple of um, examples um, mm -hmm. that, I, that I noticed. Um, another one as well, growing up in the UK is about kind of 
being polite without being polite. So what I mean there is the UK has obviously a very long history as opposed to the US and Canada. So there, I wouldn't say it's a high a high context or a low context. It's kind of in the middle on it the spectrum. It seems like it, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes people will be condescending or they'll mm-hmm. be very rude, but they'll do it in a polite way. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> the passive aggressiveness. Can... Of... <laughs> exactly. And I know Canadians are also getting really good at this as well. Right. But that's another <laughs> example that I've come across, especially yeah. in work situations. Um, so it's it's a little bit different depending mm-hmm. on on where you are. But those are some examples that I've that I faced uh, in mm-hmm. the past. Yeah. And do you think these um, these challenges we face with students might be different depending on the the setting and the goals? Like, let's say, business English, EAP, young learners. Yeah, I think if I'm teaching a student online who's in their home country, I might, uh, you know, communicate with them very differently to university students who are in a classroom in Canada, because mm-hmm. the expectation then might be, I'm in a new culture, I'm in a new setting, I should try to follow those expectations and those rules. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm speaking one to one with a student, say, in Japan then I might be more tolerant and observant and more respectful. Not that I wouldn't be, but in terms of just thinking about their situation and their context. So I think it definitely depends on your students and how you should communicate with them Mm -hmm. Um, on setting and context. Those things are really important as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But Faye, when you think about this, you know, high context culture, did you ever consider these issues when you first started teaching or did you know much about them? And, And did that change? You know, I it, I only ever started really thinking about it when I moved to Canada, because when I started mm-hmm. teaching in Brazil, I was in the same cultural context as I grew up in, right? So I kind of knew that. I, I mean, in a way, I started to think of it, I guess, when I was teaching, let's say, business English and teaching my students, like you said, how to be polite, how to be direct, but polite, sort of mm-hmm. like those conventions of, excuse me, may I ask, and those things, the indirect questions and things like that, uh, that do make you more polite, but you're still being very direct with what you want. And um, whereas like Brazilians in general tend to talk around a topic a lot. So I often had to help my students giving presentations become more direct. And that's where I can see that difference between Brazilian and North American culture, the high and low context. But I really, really started noticing that more and thinking about that more when I moved to Canada and I had a very multicultural classroom setting with mm-hmm. students. I, my first class, I had a 75 year old student from Japan. Wow. And that was like, I'd say, as high context as I could get. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, know? definitely. Um, definitely. And I also had a student from Saudi Arabia who was a lawyer. And I had a student from Korea. So I had all these quite high context cultures. And then a couple of students from South America. And mm. they were all in the elementary level class where they don't have language much to communicate yet. So a lot of right. it is relied on on body language and tone and, and, you know, eye contact, which is something that I ended up having to teach them about. <laughs> I so, see. Yeah. I think that was the first time I started thinking of it, but I'm really, really interested in hearing what Sarah has to say on that too. Yeah. I've really learned a lot about high context culture already. And, you know, this is something I wasn't aware of before moving to South Korea to teach English mm-hmm. in 2011. So let's hear from Sarah and let's see what she has to say on the topic. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Sarah. Thanks for joining us here on ESL Talk. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. We're really excited to learn about your experience of working in high context cultures and how we can help students who are from those cultures. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching journey so far and how you reached where you are today? Yeah, yeah. So I'm from the United States, so I'm a native English speaker. Um, I always studied Spanish when I was mm-hmm. in school and I couldn't talk which was, gosh, so frustrating. And I uh, made some friends from Mexico and Costa Rica when I was in college. And they kind of taught me to actually talk, to Mm. get over my embarrassment. And when that happened, I became so enamored with Spanish. I graduated with my degree in Spanish and I wanted to become an English teacher. 
So I got my TEFL certificate and I went out and taught English right away. And um, so I started in 2001. After doing my TEFL certificate, I taught some. I came back to the States and did my um, state teaching certificate. And I taught, I taught all over in elementary, middle school, high school, university, mm-hmm. um, public school, private school, everything. And and now I'm working online, which I think is awesome because I'm back in, in the States. I came back and I got married and things, but I'm still able to work with clients um, abroad by doing this cool online thing. So mm-hmm. that's that's how I got into online. Awesome. So yeah, the topic for today is about high context cultures. So when did you first start to identify and understand what high context cultures are exactly? Yeah, so I spent eight years in South Korea. Uh, teaching in South Korea. And Daniel, I know you you were in Korea a couple of years also, and I yep. don't know if you came across this, but you know, when I first yeah. went there, you know, I read like a little book, right? Like Culture Shock mm-hmm. Korea, these are some things you should do and why, and I didn't understand it. And after um, a couple of years of kind of butting up against these communication challenges, then I heard about high context culture and learned that Korea is a high context culture and the U.S. is a low context culture. The U.S. where I'm from is a low context culture. And I had to really learn to adjust my way of communicating and to learn a new way of communicating. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of a trial by fire situation. (laughs) Right. It it was something I I didn't really know much about at all. And Mm -hmm, and obviously only after a year or two of being there, like you said, Sarah, was when I started to realize, wow the way we communicate and the the kind of context is very different. Yeah. It's yeah, not just absolutely. about the language, right? There's more, right. more than that. Yeah. yeah. And about body language and about mm-hmm. tone of voice. And mm-hmm. I think we, you know, we do it to some extent in, in low context cultures. Um, and I think women do it more than men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I would kind of, kind of say it that way that like, that, that men tend to be more direct and women, we can say the things in kind of a, a more subtle mm-hmm. and more indirect way. Um, but for me being in the, in the far East was really, was really to the extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, um, and it was great. It was a great learning experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I take, I use that in my teaching a lot these days, Daniel, has it affected your teaching at all? Great question. Um, it has probably indirectly now because I I have a pretty good experience of working with lots of different students from lots of different backgrounds. So Mm -hmm. I might identify not necessarily that this student's from this country, so they may respond better to this. It's more about different approaches, but I I Mm -hmm. have found definitely that knowing the starting point of your students and the background of that student might Mm -hmm. definitely help you to connect with them better. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would say so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, At least keeping you more open-minded about it. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, Sarah, why do you think it's important for us to understand high context cultures or these differences between like the cultures before you start teaching in those environments? Yeah. Well, Daniel just said, like thinking, keeping in mind the background of the student, you know, mm-hmm. and, but also I would say the background of the teacher, like mm-hmm. it's all about this give and take and where are we meeting in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. as students and as teachers in the classroom, or if you are working one-on-one, if you're working in a group, is it a group from one culture or, or a really multicultural group? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the kind of culture that we grew up in totally informs the, the way that we communicate, not just how we communicate as teachers with our students, but 
also how the students understand us, Mm -hmm. our communication, how they communicate back to us. Um, And when it comes to language teaching specifically, what it is we're teaching and then what they learn or what it is they want to learn Mm -hmm. or the way that they will be speaking or trying to speak in English, you know, especially if they're coming from like a translation place, like, Uh like how do they naturally gravitate towards speaking? And then how does that come across in English and how can we best guide them to communicate really what they mean, you know, so Uh that not both the speaker and the listener are on the same page. Uh Yeah. Makes sense for sure. And we touched a little bit about the differences between high and low context cultures, Mm -hmm. but could we think of some specific examples of this, Sarah? Yeah. Um, So I'm going to use the two examples that I know the best. (laughs) So for me, because I'm from the States, right. And then I spent eight years in Korea, but I think it's easy for most people to kind of, you know, the U S is pretty well known and the far East, you know, if you don't think of, of Korea, if you don't know that as well, you can think of Japan or China as kind of your high context example. But um, low context cultures, they tend to be younger cultures, right? The US Mm. is just a couple hundred years old where everyone was pretty independent. They came, right, except for the Native Americans. They they came here on their own, they were independent. They were trying to communicate with people from other different languages and you couldn't assume that anyone knew anything, right? So as such, They tend to be really really explicit in communication, say things really clearly, really simply, um, and rely less on relationships and more Mm -hmm. on written contracts, rules, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas like higher context cultures, so for me, Korea, you can think of the Far East is easiest for us to think about, right? Mm -hmm. It's It's on a continuum, but we can think easiest of the Far East. There are cultures that, are, that have a really long history. They tend to be a bit more closed cultures. So um, I'll give you an example. When I lived in Korea, 99, I think it was 99% of the population of Korea at that time were Korean or Koreans, ethnically Korean, mm. right? Only 1% was foreigners versus the United States were, were much more multicultural. Mm-hmm. So these higher context cultures tend to have this shared history and this um, kind of a, a group history and a group culture that allows them to communicate in this, in this kind of subtle way, because everyone kind of knows already what people are talking about. Or we can kind of mm. think of like an old couple, the man who, who came up with this theory first, I think in the 1940s talked about like a, like a brand new dating couple is like the low context culture, right? <laughs> you don't know each other. You have to say things clearly, but like the old married couple, they can just look at each other and then they, right. and that's all they need. Mm-hmm. Right. So high context cultures tend to value relationships more and they can say things indirectly or not at all mm-hmm. to come up with the same message. Right. Mm-hmm. So to give you an example of some things that I've come across in my time teaching. Um, If a student would say to me, I'm very busy these days, right? Then for me, my American ears, I hear, oh, okay, you're busy and that's all, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. The Korean student may have meant, oh, I'm very busy these days. And that means teacher that I can't do my homework or that I'm not going to be able to come to class Mm -hmm. or that you should let me take the test again. It was There's a lot that is left unsaid kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or or this this phrase, although I don't know, Daniel, if you ever if you ever came across this too. Oh, yeah. But 
Yeah. <laughs> I got, yeah, I got the, uh, you look very tired today. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. As an American, I like, I would think like, oh my gosh, like they're so rude. You think I, I look ugly. Right. Mm-hmm. And, they, and then what they mean is I'm very concerned about you. Why are you okay? You sleeping? Are you mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You gained weight. Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah. That really means, are you healthy? You know? Mm. So these kind of messages, what we say and what we mean, um, get, can, can get confused between yeah. cultures. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Some great examples there. And it, it definitely resonates with me because I remember this and, and also even in Korean language itself, um, you know, they don't say, you know, they would say things like collectively. So when yes. they say not my country, our country, our country, mm-hmm. not, not this, everything would be ours and ours. They would try yeah. to have that collectiveness as well, which was really interesting, which is mm-hmm. definitely not um, an attitude that we have in, well, in North America, definitely. Um, or even words that get lost in translation. Now you mention it uh, makes mm-hmm. sense. A lot of my Korean students would say foreigners do this, foreigners do that. Right. And we often, we don't use that word foreigner. Right. It's almost offensive, right? It's yes. like us yes. and them, but it makes sense if 99% of the population is Korean. Yeah, absolutely. You're was, not really, really does it feel like you're segregating or alienating the people? Yeah, yeah. I, re- I do remember that I had two Korean students in my class once and they were discussing about people in Vancouver and they would keep, keep using the word foreigner, foreigner, yeah. you can understand yeah. Korean. And I said, well, actually, they're not the foreigner in this situation. Actually, you guys are the foreigners because you're in another country and they, mm-hmm. they couldn't quite compute <laughs> that fact. Yeah. It was kind of mind blowing for them. Yeah. Um, when we think about, about teaching, though, um, what are some kinds of activities that better suit learners in high context cultures, Sarah? Yeah. So the high context cultures, I mean, of course, we can, these are kind of generalizations, right? And so every person is different and every group of people is going to be a little bit different, right? So we need to pay attention to our specific student and our specific group of students that we're working with. But in general, we can say that high context cultures tend to be a bit more collective cultures, Mm. right? Versus low context cultures tend to be more individualistic. Mm -hmm. So so activities that work really well for high context cultures, especially if you're working with a group, if you have a group class would be um, group activities, right? Mm. And kind of things where you can get um, anonymous answers. So Mm. someone doesn't have to risk looking bad in front of the group they can you know kind of save face as it said um and also where people can if you can give feedback anonymously that works really well so i'll give you an example from my teaching when i used to teach in the classroom you know what if i was teaching with american students i could say oh you did this wrong go to the student's desk and say you did this wrong and and only help that student which would be better because that was the only student that made the mistake Right. So the other students wouldn't want to hear it. But when I was working in Korea, that was a little embarrassing. Right. Mm-hmm. It worked better instead at the end of class for me during class to walk around and just write down the mistakes anonymously yeah. and at the end of class to write them on the board and not to mention any names mm-hmm. to, to take the top three mistakes that I had heard from most people and say, these are some mistakes that that the class is making, let's all correct them together. Mm-hmm. And then the students who made the mistakes, they would know that they made them, right? And they would yeah. learn, but they didn't have to get called out on that. So mm-hmm. um, so this kind of anonymity, I feel like works much better with high context cultures, mm-hmm. with low context cultures. 
then sometimes it's perceived that that's like a little bit of a waste of time, right? Mm -hmm. If I didn't make the mistake, then I don't want to spend my time Mm -hmm. worrying about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But high context cultures, I think, I think it works really well. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting because in preparation also for, for this episode, I was reading up on what high con, what are the high context cultures, let's say. And I was surprised to learn that Brazil was placed in the high context uh, side of things. Mm -hmm. And I'm originally Brazilian and I'm like, Oh, really? And to me, because and then if I think of the Brazilian culture and Japanese Korean culture, to me, it sounds like the Japanese culture is a lot more high context, right? In that sliding scale, let's say. But now you mentioned the sort of activities and I'm thinking, yeah, that's true for Brazilian students. Those kinds of activities work better as well. So there is some sort of, um, let's say, uh, shared characteristics. Yeah. But you kind of mentioned this already. Maybe we should think of it more as like a sliding scale rather than opposite ends. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I mean, and they say, they say, who's they, right? But Mm -hmm. let's say common, common, the common idea is that the US is like as far to the low context as you could get, but also low context tend to be, you know, UK, Australia, Mm -hmm. Western Europe, mostly Northern Europe. Um, And the highest context tends to be far, you know, the far Northeast Asian, China, Korea, Japan. But in between there, you know, on the higher end is also the Arab countries Mm. and then the Latin American countries. But I was also surprised to see that the Latin American countries, because I've spent a lot of time, you know, my second language is Spanish and I've spent a lot of time in Latin America. Mm -hmm. And to me to compare that to Korea, like, yeah, yeah, no, but yeah, if I think about a classroom in Mexico versus a classroom in America, there are some key differences. Mm -hmm. So it is not just, it's not black and white. It's not, you yeah. are high context or low context. It's is me as a teacher, where do I come from? And you mm-hmm. as a learner, where are you, where do we compare to each other? Right. And how do we, how do we bridge that gap? Exactly. Being yeah. open-minded to that at least, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, can we think of, again, turning into the more opposite end of the spectrum, which would be the most uh, shocking or challenging for most of our, the teachers coming from the, our Western cultures. Mm-hmm. What are some easy and simple activities that teachers can use in these like, more high context cultures? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think what it ultimately comes down to is helping people to communicate wherever they are. You know, your learner wants to learn for some reason because they have to take a test or because they want to go traveling or because they're going to work at a multinational company. And, you know, low low context culture comes from a place of people who don't know each other and who have to communicate. So really best practice is when, when we're trying to bridge cultures to go more towards the low context end. Mm -hmm. I think. So we want to teach our high context culture students to be able to do that. And also I I know it can be really uncomfortable for them. So I think an easy activity is if we can take one of these indirect statements and practice with the student or the client and to help them find the direct way of saying it. Mm. So previously I mentioned the statement, I'm very busy these days, right? And the student really meant, so I can't go to class or so whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? And low context listeners, low context listeners, we really many times won't hear the message, the indirect message underneath. Mm -hmm. So we can help them to practice. So take that down. You know, I'm very busy these days. So 
and then have the client say, okay, well, let me practice it in a more direct way. Okay. So I need to take a break from class for a while. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. So let's try and say that even more directly. I can't continue classes. Right. And as we do this as an exercise, then it can, it can give them a safe space to practice so they don't feel so uncomfortable when they have to do it in real life. And we can also teach them, you know, words like, sorry, like I'm unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but thank you very much. Those kind of phrases that were how we we can be direct, but we're still being polite. Polite. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Getting away from these words, like maybe I always hear that from my students and I'm like, so Mm -hmm. yes or no. And they're like, well, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, Sarah, how has working in these high context cultures like Korea, how did that help you with your teaching practice today? How do you apply those things that you learned? You know, I think my time in, in Korea specifically, because I was there for so long, it really transformed my teaching. I went there as a younger teacher. And I, I think when I came out, I, I was a, uh, not a master teacher, but you know, a lot better than when Me I too. went in. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I mean, it's so great that we could have those experiences as mm-hmm. ESL teachers being able to travel around the world. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that learning to watch for nonverbal cues and to listen to what wasn't stated made a real difference in my ability to create an excellent learning experience for my clients. And that helped them help me to keep them as repeat clients. Mm. You know, for me, I'm someone who likes to push people out of their comfort zone. And I, and I, you know, there were a couple of times where I pushed so hard as a classroom teacher <laughs> that, you know, I had a couple of students in tears. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And luckily I didn't lose my job, but you know, as an online independent teacher, if I did that, I would never see that client again, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, I think as a freelance teacher, if you can make your client more comfortable then they're going to book with you again, then you're going to keep learning with you again. Mm-hmm. So when I work with my, you know, with my students these days, being able to watch them, you know, on the video chat and, and watch their nonverbal cues. And, you know, I can, I can see if they get a little uncomfortable and I can pivot right away mm-hmm. and help them to feel comfortable. So they, they really enjoy their time and they get the best learning experience out of it. And they continue their learning with me. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, you've already shared a lot of uh, really great tips, but what do you think is some key advice that you would give to new teachers who were maybe in your position many years ago who want to start teaching online, especially working with students from these high context cultures? Yeah. Um, I think whether you're teaching independently or with a company online, it's important to look at it not just from an educational point of view, though that's very important, but also you need to be looking from a business point of view. Mm -hmm. And that means looking at your product, right? As if, you know, it is a product that you're selling, right? Mm -hmm. And you need to look at it from the consumer's point of view. So if you can create a good experience for the consumer, for your client, your student, then you're going to have more clients and repeat clients. Mm -hmm. And then if you want, you can increase your rate over time. Or if you're Mm -hmm. working you know, for a company, then you may be able to take on a leadership role or to get a raise um, or to work for a different company if you want, you know. So I think looking at the business side is key when you're working online. If, if, you're, if you're in a for-profit business, right, if you're not mm-hmm. in, um, in public education, I think keeping, keeping the client in mind is really important. 
Um, in terms of high context cultures, I would say, remember that people around the world value different things in a teacher and look at a teacher, kind of evaluate and choose a teacher in a different way. So mm. when you're looking, when you're creating your teacher profile or your website, then you want to focus not just on your achievements, right? Not just on your certifications and your education, though those are important, but you also want to focus on who you are as a person. Mm. High context cultures value personal relationships a bit more than low context cultures. And it may just be that if they see that you have something in common, then they will see you as part of the in-group, right? We talked about the group before with high context cultures, and they may choose you other, over other teachers just because of that. So for example, on my first um, teaching profile video, I talked very little about my certifications and my experience. And I talked mostly about the story of how I had struggled learning Spanish, you know, mm -hmm. and how I finally learned how to speak just by talking to people. And most of my clients told me that they had chosen me because of that story. Mm -hmm. And because that was their experience as well. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't say, oh, you have all of these years of experience. They said, mm -hmm. you are like me. We are, you know, we are you similar. understand me, mm -hmm. right? You understand me mm -hmm. and I feel comfortable with you. And right. so I chose you. So I think it's important um, you know, for new teachers to not be afraid to like open up and show your personality and like tell these stories and not right. worry about I'm brand new and I can't compete with, you know, teachers who have been doing it a long time because there's somebody who's looking for you. They're mm -hmm. looking for your personality. They're going to connect with you and, and you can, you can be successful if you focus on that. Yeah, great, great message. Mm -hmm. Um, now, do you want to leave our listeners with two final key strategies that could help them become even better ESL teachers? Yeah, I mean, I think that reading is really essential. Um, mm -hmm. When I first started teaching, I read a lot about education and languages, folks. Mm -hmm. um, after a while, I read more about uh, culture and communication. And then when I started working for myself, I started reading a lot about marketing and sales. Right. to learn how to present my message because if I was a great teacher, but no one chose me, it didn't matter. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So um, on the topic of today, high context and low context cultures, the book that I've read most recently that I absolutely loved. And then I would highly recommend for all ESL teachers or all language mm -hmm. teachers is called the culture map by Aaron E R I N Meyer. It's, mm -hmm. it talks about, both high and low context cultures and, and seven other metrics um, about communication and cross cultures. I think it's really, really great. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the next thing, I, the second thing I, I really recommend that all teachers have a mentor. And mm -hmm. I think that this is harder for us these days working in the online space, especially for new teachers. But, you know, Daniel, I don't know if you experienced this, but for me, when I was a new classroom teacher, mm -hmm. you know, I had those master teachers and those veteran teachers helping me so much and giving me so much advice. And I feel like in an online space, there's a real lack of mm -hmm. that. You know, it there can might be a like... really lonely place sometimes. It's really oh, yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, there, there are some message boards or some chat rooms sometimes, but it's really not the same mm -hmm. as, you know, as it was when we were in a classroom and when we had a community. And so I think, I think finding a mentor and doing as much 
um, learning from them as possible is really important. I help online teachers. I do coaching for teachers. Um, if you're interested in that. And I think that listening to ESL talk is also, <laughs> you know, a, one way that you're getting this experience of, mm-hmm. of mentoring from master teachers. That's true. Yeah. We, true. we mentioned this before. Thank you so much. But yeah, we feel like we have this community now too. Yeah. Listeners and uh, we've yeah. we, we've both met a lot of really wonderful people as a result of right. this, and they've shared their stories and their expertise, yeah. and we've worked together on different projects. So you know, this is why we always love to hear from you, and this is why it's great to to build that community. So yeah, that's great. Um, any plugs? How can people get in touch with you, Sarah? So I am at Sarah Johnson Coaching, Sarah S A R A Johnson Coaching.com, and that links to everything I do. I'm just getting just starting to get into YouTube and a couple other things. So mm-hmm. that's just barely getting started, but you know, for um, any teacher mentoring or, or classes or, you know, to watch my YouTube videos, that's got links to everything. Wonderful. Great. Thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. I really yeah, learned a thank lot. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun. It was, it was great to talk to you and, mm-hmm. um, and I look forward to hearing the rest of your episodes as well. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge of high context cultures and how to teach students from those cultures. Yeah. Hopefully this is another tool that we can all utilize to help us better connect with our students in the future, regardless of age or ability. So what do you think? Have you found this episode useful? Yeah. If you have, please get in touch with us on Instagram at ESL talk podcast, or you can send us an email to ESL talk podcast at gmail.com. And also you can join us on Instagram. Yeah, and I'm learning with Faye. Or I'm Daniel Teacher. See you next week for another new episode of ESL Talk. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for even more ESL teaching content.